Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts. I'm your Bible teacher today as we come to Hebrews chapter 4. Today we're going to focus on verses 3 through 10, and we are going to identify what it means to enter God's rest. What is the rest that God offers to his people? Well, we're going to explain it today clearly and biblically. And I'm so glad you're joining me. If you've missed any of my teachings from Hebrews, download my mobile app, Awakened to Grace. Go back and walk through the entire series, the entire book with us, as I'm calling these collection of sermons an anchor for the soul. This is our study through the book of Hebrews, and I hope that it is impacting and enriching your walk with the Lord. Well, let's get to it today. Hebrews chapter 4, this sermon called Entering God's Rest. Hebrews chapter 4, this is our 19th week thus far in the book of Hebrews this year. And I am enjoying our systematic study going verse by verse with you. Last week, we introduced chapter 4, which is primarily focusing on entering into God's rest. And last week, we called it Stop Trying to Earn God's Approval. So many of us have grown up with this need to earn from God. Perhaps we got it in the family that we were raised in. Perhaps it came from the way we interacted with our own parents or our own teachers or whatever our childhood looked like or however it came. Many of us feel the need to earn God's approval. And the point of the book of Hebrews is that you and I cannot merit our own salvation. And so when we get into chapter 3 and chapter 4, particularly, it talks about the rest of God. Now, it's a little confusing because there are multiple rests that it speaks of. And if you simply read it at face value, you may walk away sort of scratching your head and saying, what was that all about? Well, do you know what true biblical preaching does? It was Charles Spurgeon of the 1800s who once said that if preaching done right, if it is done correctly and biblically and rightly, preaching is one of the oldest crafts in the entire world. And that's true. You know why? Because God's truth never changes. Throughout all the centuries, throughout all the generations, God's truth never changes. And you know what I have particularly used for the study of this sermon today? I've particularly used the thoughts of John Owen dating back to the 1600s. And yet truth has not changed. I have captured many of the thoughts of A.W. Pink, who wrote things in 1920, and yet truth 
Here we are a hundred years later and truth has never changed. Can we say amen to it today? So what is meant by God's rest? That's the theme of chapter three, chapter four. Remember what we said, really, chapter three, verse 12, all the way to four, verse 12, is really one unit. It follows one continuous thought. It reinforces truth after truth. So if the main thought is how do you and I enter into God's rest, well, let's clearly define it. Because where we stopped last week at the beginning of verse number three, it says, so all of us who believe, for those who believe, enter into God's rest. Now he's going to get real confusing because he's going to speak of several rest. If you're going to take notes, I want you to write down two primary rests that the author is going to deal with going back into the Old Testament scriptures. Number one, the creation rest. That's where we get the idea of the Sabbath. So I want to answer the question clearly today. Should Christians, today's church, today's born-again, blood-bought believers... Should we observe the Sabbath? I want to answer this question clearly today. What is the difference between the Sabbath and the Lord's Day? Is the Sabbath on Saturday or is it on Sunday? And what's the difference? A few weeks ago, I was featured on a uh, I was interviewed on the powerful KKLA in Los Angeles. They wanted to hear about my blindness story, and they invited me on to talk about Awakened to Grace and the impact that Awakened is having and how I preach completely and totally blind. And it was a great opportunity, and I enjoyed working with them so much, and it was wonderful to do. But on that same day, on that same program, they asked this question, and you know how they do. They have call-ins and things like that where they want to get listener feedback. And the question was, and I found this interesting because this was weeks ago, and this was not on my radar for chapter 4 yet. I hadn't got that far into chapter 4 that I realized how much we're going to break this down. And their question that they wanted to hear from their listeners that day is, should Christians work on Sundays? Is it right or is it wrong for a Christian to work on, quote unquote, the Sabbath? I remember listening and a woman called in and she was very passionate about the Sabbath being on Saturday. She was Seventh-day Adventist. And she argued to the death that Christians, all Christians, ought to cease all work on Saturday, and that is the Sabbath, and everyone ought to observe it, and anyone who doesn't is wrong. What do you think? We're going to answer these questions today with the text, not with our own opinions. So let's understand it. 
Now we come to the end of verse number three, and what they say in verse three is what the author is going to say is that although God has rested from his creation work from the foundations of the world. Now that seems a little disconjointed right there. Why is that at the end of verse three? Because you have to understand the rest of the flow of the text. He is going to introduce the idea that if you and I... Now, remember the premise here, okay? Don't miss this. The premise is verse number three, that you and I can do what the Israelites failed to do coming out of Egypt. You and I have opportunity to acquire what Israel failed to gain, namely the rest of God. So if we're going to enter this rest, then we have to understand a little bit of history and we have to understand what kind of rest God has always offered. So if you're a note taker today, note a couple of things with me. Number one, this is speaking of creation rest. This is where we get the idea of the Sabbath. God created the universe in six days, the scripture teaches. Now, understand, God could have done it instantly in one moment. For even right now, the whole of the universe is simply upheld by what? The word of his power. How did God create the universe? He simply spoke it into existence. Well, some people today would say, but how? I tell you the Bible answer. He's God and we're not. He is God. He is not a man. He is God. And he spoke the world into existence. That after his work of creation. And what did he say after his creation? It is very good. And God ceased from creating. He rested from his work on that seventh day. Verse number four confirms. I enjoy when I note this in Hebrews. Notice what the author of Hebrews said in verse 4. He said, for it's written somewhere. <clears throat> Why does he say somewhere? Well, friends, you have to understand, chapter and verse references did not come until hundreds of years later. Can you imagine us trying to pick up in the text today with no chapter and no verse? Imagine how taxing that would be. Well, in the first century of the church, that's exactly what they had to do. So he wasn't able to say in Genesis chapter 2, verse whatever, or in Psalm 95, verse whatever. No. So what does the author do? He goes, well, somewhere it's written. <laughs> I like that. And it makes me appreciate as someone who teaches the Bible week in and week out. References. Thank God for it. Makes it far easier. And he says it's written somewhere of how God created the world in seven days and then he rested. That is the Sabbath rest. Now, understand this. 
God then instituted a Sabbath rest for people. We are to work six days and we are to rest one. But what does that mean? How far does that go? I would argue biblically, and you may want to note this, I do not think that a Sabbath rest means complete inactivity. Why would I say that it does not mean complete inactivity? Because of John chapter 5. Do you remember Jesus heals a person in John chapter 5 and the Jews get all upset over it? And if you look at John 5 verse 17, it is highly interesting. It says that both God the Father and God the Son works on the Sabbath. Now that was blasphemy to Judaism. For Christ to have said that, blasphemy. What does that mean? Well, I think that works of necessity are certainly permissible. And I think works of mercy and works of compassion are most certainly permissible. So what does that mean? Works of necessity. Well, right now, we are honoring the Lord's day, right? And I'll explain a little bit more of that in verse 10. Right now, in our culture, what I think we would observe as the Sabbath for the majority of us, for those of you who are retired or for those of you who work what some would call a normal work schedule of Monday through Friday, we are honoring the Lord's day. But what about first responders today? Are they wrong for working today on the Lord's day? What about emergency room workers and doctors and nurses? Are they wrong for working today on the Lord's day? What about myself as I preach and explain God's word? Am I wrong for working today on the Lord's day? No. So my sister, who in Los Angeles was going to argue to the death that all Christians ought to cease all activity, I would disagree with her. And I think John 5, 17 would disagree with her. Even though God ceased his works of creation, God never stopped working for he governs the universe. He does acts of providence every day. I don't think that the Sabbath rest means complete inactivity. Now, what does it mean? Note Isaiah 58 verses 13 and 14. I think this is a good perspective of how Christians ought to observe the Sabbath. I believe there should be a day, be it Sunday, the Lord's day, be it Saturday, the Sabbath. If you work shift work, if you work odd schedules, make a Sabbath day for you. And according to Isaiah 58, 13 and 14, set that day aside. 
Mark it as holy unto the Lord. And what do you do? I believe this is what it means to observe the Sabbath. I think it means to take the six days of work of normal activity and set it aside on that seventh day. I think that means what can be done the day before or what can be done the day after you reserve it for those days. And on that Sabbath day, you truly rest. Now, is that complete inactivity? No, I don't think so. But it should be guarded. It should be protected. And you should mark that day as holy unto the Lord. And you should observe that day. Now, I try to take a day of rest, most certainly. But I have many Many demands. Most of my days are filled with counseling, with praying over people, with meetings. If someone calls me in an emergency situation and needs counseling, needs prayer on my Sabbath day, am I offending God by serving them? No. Because what did Jesus say? Man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. John 5, 17. Not all activity is wrong. So I think this balances us out a little bit. We understand that God did indeed rest, and we are to follow that model. He gave a very clear model to humanity. If you don't take a day of rest, you biblically are wrong. I don't care how healthy you are. I don't care how energetic you are. I don't care how important you think you are. And I don't care if you think that the world will not function if you don't work seven days a week. It's not true. God Almighty set the example for us. Can we say amen to that? And there isn't one of us better than God Almighty. We should follow that biblical example. Study Isaiah 58. Note verses 13, 14, and implement that into your own weekly rhythm. And have that day, have that day set aside for you and your family where you truly enter into God's rest. See, the fact is, since the creation of the world, God has made rest available, his rest to humanity. I think that's an amazing thought. Now, in verse number six, now remember this is a continuation of chapter three. He's going to explain this rest still stands for us today, verses one, two, and three. He reminds us the Red Sea generation failed to reach it. And why, according to verse six, did they fail to reach it? Because of disobedience. Do you remember what we said two weeks ago? Unbelief comes out of the heart. Disobedience comes out of the will. When you allow unbelief to creep into your heart, disobedience is not far from it. And it was disobedience and unbelief that kept them from entering God's rest. Now, 
verse 7, he's going to quote again. These are direct quotes of Psalm 95. And why is it so important to understand Psalm 95? Because when he says in verse 7 that David, out of David's mouth, in Psalm 95, he says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Why? Because God has appointed a day. And what's the day speaking of? Today. Now, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Now, in verse 8, this is what I find so fascinating in this text. Number one, there is the creation rest, which is the Sabbath. Should you and I observe a Sabbath? Biblically, yes. Verse 8, he's going to go deeper. And what he's going to do is he's going to answer two objections that the Hebrews would have had. He's going to answer their objections with verse number 8 when he explains, For Joshua led Israel into Canaan land. He led them into God's rest. Joshua did what Moses failed to. To do. And remember what the author of Hebrews is doing systematically? He's taking us through Judaism, showing Christ is superior to the prophets, superior to the angels, superior to Moses. And now, fourthly, in chapter four, he's going to prove, he's going to argue, and he's going to prove that Christ is superior to Joshua. And how is he going to do that? There is number one, a creation rest, which is the Sabbath. Number two, there is the Canaan land rest, which was their inheritance. So when the author of Hebrews is writing to this Jewish culture, what a good Jew would have done is a good Jew would have said, huh, So you're saying Christ is superior to everything in Judaism. Remember what we said, the objections to angels? If Christ is better than angels, then why did he die? The author answered that masterfully. Now what a good Jew would say, if Christ is superior, then what is this rest you're speaking of? Our forefathers have always observed the Sabbath. Uh, Check that box. We are now in the land of inheritance. Our forefathers have brought Joshua, led us into the Canaan, into the promised land. Check that box. What's this other rest then that you speak of? We are in our rest. We observe Sabbath rest. We observe we're in Canaan. So what else are you talking about? And what the author brilliantly, masterfully does is he lays out the true spiritual rest that can only come through Jesus Christ and no other. What Joshua was unable to do by leading them into a physical rest, only Christ Jesus can do, leading us into a spiritual rest. So watch how he argues. 
Verse number eight, he shows that Christ is superior to anything that Joshua or anyone prior to Joshua could have done. Take Awakened to Grace with you on the go. When you download Awakened to Grace on your device, you will have access to hundreds of resources we create all for free. Sermons, music, articles, and more. Download Awakened to Grace wherever you get your favorite apps.